Well, Proverbs are very short, simple wisdom sayings that describe how God's economy normally works. And this proverb describes the paradox of generosity we're talking about this Lent. Very simple terms. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, one of the the ways you can study Proverbs is just to look at different translations to kind of get a feel for the richness of the Hebrew. Here's here's, uh, the King James. There is one that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And then I think this is the NIV. Those who give generously receive more, but those who are stingy with what is appropriate will grow needy. So it seems pretty straightforward, uh, this idea that's all through the Bible, that if you live out of an abundance mindset and you cultivate a generous life, uh, life comes back to you. A richer and more fulfilling life is, is yours. If you live out of fear and, uh, and scarcity and hoard and self-protection, in the end, you actually uh, lose some of the very things that you'd hope to gain. Well, Proverbs, well, I guess all of God's Word is like this. Um, and I really encourage you to spend time meditating on God's Word. That's kind of one of the primary tools in our kit for knowing God. Uh, just taking a little portion of Scripture, sitting down with it with a journal, just just thinking about it, saying, what does that mean? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Um, I try to do that every day. And I was doing that with this one, and one of the things that I've learned is to try to get out of my, uh, my, my scholar hat studying the Word um, and just kind of let my creative side go a little bit and see what comes up when I'm studying a text. It used to be that I always saw that was distraction and stopped doing it. Now I'm realizing, you know, the Holy Spirit might even be in the distraction, might even be in what is coming up that I think doesn't fit. And so I was meditating on this proverb for tonight and just for my own life, and, and a couple of things came up. The first is I thought about Shel Silverstein's classic children book, the Giving Tree. And if you've never read it or if it's been a while, it's about the lives of a boy in an apple tree. And when the boy is young, he plays with the tree, he climbs in her trunk, uh, plays in her branches, eats her apples. But as the boy grows older, he only returns to the tree when he needs something. And each time he returns, the tree gives the boy part of herself. She gives him apples to sell for money. Uh, branches to self so he can build a house, and eventually even her trunk so he can build a boat and sail. And after each gift we read, and the tree was happy. In the last pages of the book, the tree is down to just a tired, kind of gnarled stump, and the boy finally returns after a long exile as an elderly man. And the tree tells the boy, she says, that she's sad because she has no apples to give him and no shade to cover him and no branches to climb on. And the boy says all he wants is a quiet place to sit and rest. And he sits on the tree stump, and the tree was happy. Now, I think I read that when I was younger, and, and, and 
maybe this is the beautiful thing about literature. It hits you in different ways in different times. When I read that 50 years ago or 40 years ago, I remember thinking, what a beautiful picture of self-giving love. This is uh, maybe it's a picture of a mom because in the in the book the the tree is a she. Maybe it's just a picture of how a mom loves her family and gives, and um, it, it's the cross, it's sacrifice and union at the end. Now I don't know if the day that I was reading it this week was just particularly kind of a dark rainy day and I was in a bad mood, <laughs> but I thought of this story for the first time in many years, and it really bothered me. I didn't like the story. And as I, as I thought about it and reflected on the, pro, the proverb, I saw the giving tree differently. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying this is what the author intended, but this time I thought, you know, if you are not careful, you can give and give and give away all your resources and wind up just a stump with other people sitting on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little different way to uh, to read that book. And this time, the tree seemed to me to be a picture of an unhealthy caregiver, someone who so desperately needs to be needed that she destroys herself while enabling another to take and take. <laughs> so I may have just massacred one of your favorite children's books. But this week, at least, I thought, you know, you could read this story a couple of different ways. So back to our proverb, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. It's God's word, it's true. I'd like to say yes, but <laughs> this proverb is generally true. If you cultivate a generous giving lifestyle, usually life comes back to you and you live a richer, fuller life. Yes, that is normally true. There is a form of generosity, a counterfeit generosity that does not lead to a fuller life. It actually is giving that's not rooted in love. It's giving that's not responding to God's prior grace to us. It actually is giving out of a craving sense of need, a desperate longing to have the other person love and need us back. I think of a friend who once stayed in a bad relationship too long. She wasn't in a healthy place in her life, and she said she was giving, 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 and when this person who was not a good person would finally give her a crumb, she would just gobble it up. And, and then she asked, why on earth did I stay in a relationship like that? That's not the kind of giving I think the proverb is affirming here. That's kind of a sick, toxic form of giving. So think about the places in your life where you think, I'm giving freely here. Um, I, I'm giving freely here to my child or my spouse or my coworker, or church or whatever. Just think about a place like that. One of the things you can ask is, is my life becoming richer and fuller as a result of my giving? Not, not necessarily richer financially, but it, it, more meaningful, more joyful, embedded in a deeper tapestry of relationships, more purposeful. Is that what's happening from my sacrificial giving, or am I becoming more burned out, more bitter, more resentful, more frustrated that they don't notice, doggone it, and aren't giving it back to me? If that's what's happening with your giving, probably pull back for a bit, stop for a bit, and uh, do a, a double double check. Second 
thought that I had as I was meditating on this passage. It came from some sad events from this week that you probably know about. Uh, I kept thinking about the funerals of uh, uh, Stanley Freeman and Janaria Muhammad, uh, both AE students, both shot to death two weeks ago. Stanley on the way to work in his car, uh, and uh, Janaria in her front yard. Neither one of them were involved in gang activity. Um, Janaria yesterday was uh, lauded as a great volleyball player for Emerald Youth, and Stanley was a basketball player and worked two jobs, and their families were doing everything they possibly could to um, get the kids on the right track. So the funerals were at the Change Center over at the Overcoming Believers, and and you know Daryl Arnold, who's preached for us, um, this is a hard part of his life, and so we're very good friends. And years ago, I said, anytime you have to bury a child, uh, I want to be next to you. And so uh, that's what we do. And uh, I sat up there next to him uh, behind the caskets and got to kind of look out over the crowd as waves of grief washed over them. And I thought, you know, I think it's fair to say that the the children were from more low-income families. Maybe we would say poor families. And I thought about our proverb again. One gives freely, it grows all the richer. And this proverb, you may know, is is a favorite one of the prosperity gospel preachers. And I read some things on that this week. This idea that if you give financially, sacrificially to the church, you'll get more money back. Your lifestyle will prosper. And, 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 And sadly, this message is most heard in poor communities and never works in poor communities. It's preached like a good investment strategy. If you give uh, $200 to the building campaign or whatever, then God will bless you and you can expect a, a nicer car, a bigger house or something like that. Well, I don't know the families of these two dear children. I just saw them yesterday. I have had the experience of knowing three families from their neighborhood for about nine years now through swimming. And at the risk of a generalization, here's my observation. Many poor people are very generous in remarkable ways that middle-class people like myself could hardly fathom. Generous with their food, with their couch, with their time, with their car, in in ways that might even seem irresponsible to, to someone like me. It's sort of a radical generosity. It's how, uh, how they survive, I think, often. Everybody pitches in. So if that's true, why aren't they richer? Why uh, are Janaria's and Stanley's families not wealthier? Well, the Hebrew word translated grow richer actually is not a word about financial wealth. It's, it's a farming word, which means to increase the crop. And actually, there's a farming metaphor behind here. And the idea seems to be that a farmer who scatters lots of seed will reap a bigger crop, and a farmer who scatters little will have a smaller crop. It's more about a philosophy of life. It is not saying that if you give $100, you'll get 150 back. The message translates it, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So the the paradox of generosity does not mean that God promises to double our investment financially. Uh, It does mean 
that if we live generous lives for the sake of others, we will find richness and fullness in relationships and happiness and joy and meaning. And I will say this, as I sat in that sacred and painful seat yesterday and the day before and watched waves of grief just roll over the congregation, I saw families who were rich in relationship and care and love. The last thought that came to mind, meditating on this um, proverb, has something to do with, uh, with our building program. You know, God has provided our church with this wonderful new building. It's a place where we're going to be able to abide and go in a neighborhood that is being radically transformed. Uh, we'll be able to worship and pray and study and all that good stuff during the week and then go into our community to serve. But it takes money to turn that business center and office space into a church, and so we're raising money for renovations. And uh, we've asked the members of our church to pray during Lent about what they might give. And my prayer for us during this Lent is that we would grow in God as we give, that that God would use this building campaign, this fundraising campaign, to give us good conversations with God about our own generosity. Well, I was having an interesting conversation with someone about this recently, and I see them as a very generous person. They are generous with their time. They open their home. They're generous listeners, generous in hospitality. Um, their heart is bent towards generosity. They don't have a lot of money. Uh, matter of fact, at the end of the month, they told me they often almost don't make it, and some months maybe don't make it. And this person was really, I would say, almost agonizing. They sincerely want to please God, and they want to trust God. And so this person was was wondering if they have just a small couple of dollar cushion at the end of the month, and that's their only margin when they pay all their bills, if she trusted God, should she give that and more, believing that God would provide? Should she step out in faith, she said, live out of abundance, give really more than she could afford, trusting that God would provide? Now, at that point, I as a minister am supposed to say, according to the script, yes, sister, step out in faith and tell her a story about a time when someone I knew stepped out in faith and gave more and pledged more than they had, and then a check came from a distant aunt for the precise amount of money the day before it was needed. Hallelujah. Now that happens. It's happened to me. Sandy and I have experienced God saying, I want you to give something you don't know where it's going to come from, and we've seen him provide. I'm not making fun of that. But for whatever reason that day, that just didn't seem right. And I said, you know, my friend, just something seems kind of off about this. And we talked about it for a little while. Because, again, this is a very generous person. And I said, you know, it, this whole, the way you're thinking about this feels very transactional. You give this, he'll give that. You, you have $50 left at the end of the month, pledge $100 a month, God will make sure you, you get it in your book's balance. Now, you know, in God's economy, that's probably tr 
true, but that just didn't feel like the heart of generosity. It didn't feel like the paradox of generosity. It felt sort of like a legalistic game or exercise or something like that, a transactional investment. And I don't think really that's what this proverb is saying to do. It's saying you think you can give 100, give 150, and watch God bring all that in. It's bigger than that. It is saying that as God touches your heart about mentoring and investing in others and giving away time and, and yes, giving money to church and organizations that you care about, as that lifestyle flows out of you, you will have a richer lifestyle. And if instead, out of fear, you shut down, hoard, cut off, hold, protect, you will wind up sadder emptier and less full. I think that's what the passage is saying. I don't think it's saying if you think you could only give 110, give 120. I'm not sure that's the point. Of course, we need to pray about what we should give anywhere. And God will give us numbers sometimes. And that's why building campaigns are often very good for churches, because it stretches our faith and we see God provide. But boy, this is the thing that struck me this week, is how subtle things dealing with money are in the spiritual world. You can get off so fast. And even, and again, if you're you're a guest and this is not something you're interested in, just forbear me for a minute— I, I I believe God's going to provide for us. Sandy and I are giving sacrificially. I know many of you will too. I don't think God wants angry money. I don't think God wants dutiful money. I don't think God wants begrudging money. That's not the kind of richness and fullness that God's Word's describing. I, as you pray about this, give what gives you joy. Give what gives you energy. Give what gives you passion and pleasure. That's the kind of radical generosity we're talking about here. And if you're just at a point where, you know, I just, it's not there, I don't I don't care about this. I, I'm not energized about this. The only reason I would give is because this is my church and I feel guilty. I'd say that's blood money. Don't want it. That's not good for you. And that's not good for us. It might lead to a bigger conversation about why you feel that way and all that. And that's probably appropriate. But I'm very serious about this. Rich, generous giving it's kind of fun. <laughs> it makes you happy. It's something that you don't go, dog, gone it a year from now. Why did we ever make that pledge? When will this be over? You don't feel that way. It's like, I love this. This is resulting in my life being more meaningful, more purposeful, with a sense that I'm having a part of blessing others and blessing the community through this gift. Let's pray. Father, your word is just so cool. (laughs) 
just a simple proverb has kept me up all week and led to some great conversations. And Lord, you've, you've allowed us to look at this, this Lent when we are thinking about giving towards our building renovation. And I pray that it wouldn't just be a transaction. It wouldn't be a formality. I pray that you, this Lent, would really talk to us about our generosity. And Lord, if there's any place where we are like the giving tree, where our giving is somehow shrinking us into a stump, uh, show us that. Change us. Pull us back. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for this lovely, lovely taste of spring as we head into seven days of rain. (laughs) Thank you for the hope of Easter, the birds in the trees, the faces in the yard. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.